Welcome to the Public Works Nerds Podcast with Mark and Mike. Welcome to the Public Works Nerds Podcast. I'm Mike Spack. And I'm Mark Oliver. We're your co-hosts. And today we're joined by Michael Thompson. And we're going to be talking about reorganizing a public works department. Michael's been the public works director for the city of Plymouth since 2017. Welcome, Michael. Hey, great to be here. This is my first uh, podcast, so looking forward to having some fun today. We'll, we'll be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. To just start things off, why don't you give us a little bit of background uh, on your journey through civil engineering school, starting in California, then coming to Minnesota, just to kind of set the backdrop. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, well, first off, born and raised in Northern California. So was out there for 25 years before moving out here. But yeah, I got my undergrad schooling out there. So actually, my first year of college, I played baseball. Baseball? Baseball for uh, a smaller school in Oregon. And then kind of got serious. I found out, hey, I wanted to get into engineering after having an internship with the California Department of Water Resources. And so going into my sophomore year, I transferred to California State University, Chico, uh, which is also in Northern California. And so that's uh, spent four years there, graduated in 03 with uh, my bachelor's in civil engineering and had a great summer job all through school with uh, the Department of Water Resources. So I was up in God's country, you know, measuring water and stream flow and just one of the greatest jobs you could have uh, as a younger kid. So that's kind of my journey out there for schooling. Um, and then, yeah, ended up coming out here in, in 2005. What brought you to Minnesota? Well, I, I never grew up thinking, hey, I'm going to move to Minnesota. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's on my list. But I actually, I met my wife um, during school, and she is from the North Metro out here. So my draw <laughs> was a woman out to Minnesota. Yeah, so that, uh, I, I've heard that many times most, with most people who moved to Minnesota. Yeah, you'd be surprised. It's everybody's story, you know, who moves out here. So, um, but yeah, now, now I'm here and... Yeah. I've been enjoying my time here and a lot of career growth and um, yeah, Minnesota has treated me well. Okay. Ed, tell us a little bit about Plymouth and just put, put it in context, suburb of Minneapolis, size, your staff that kind of paint the picture. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. So yeah, Plymouth, I've uh, been there, as you said, six years. So since uh, summer of 2017, Plymouth's about 82,000 people. Think about the seventh biggest city in the state population-wise and um, employees, 74 full-time employees uh, for public works. Um, I should go back just a step. Before I started at Plymouth, I started for Maplewood back in 2005, which is in the East Metro. So a city of about half the population of Plymouth. But I essentially started my career there, so moved straight out from California, started at Maplewood as really an entry-level engineer, kind of slowly moved my way up to assistant city engineer, uh, deputy public works director, city engineer, and ultimately public works director. Um, so yeah, I was there from 05 to, to 2017 and, and got a great basis for my career. I had a great mentor there, um, so that really, empowered me to apply for that that bigger job in Plymouth and it's it's it was a great career move but uh, Plymouth as I said six years there uh, have a great uh, group of directors city manager over there and our department um, has really grown I would say on the people side um, over the past you know four to six years just on, focusing more on people rather than just output. And so that's uh, been a journey for us over in Plymouth. Uh, me starting over there is really how do we, how do we turn the culture, change the culture just from looking at output and focusing more on development of people, focusing on people, um, empowering people. So you know, and, and before we dive into that, I just yeah. want to highlight a couple things about Michael, just from a credibility perspective. <laughs> uh, 
maybe lack of credibility. First of all, I, I consider Michael a really good friend of mine. We, you know, Roseville and Maplewood are our uh, neighboring cities. And so Michael and I work together on quite a bit of stuff. And, you know, we would call each other and um, me probably more to him than him to me. But, you know, ask about stuff. How did you do this? How did you do that? Things like that. Um, but we also have a really good relationship. And we've, we're both very dedicated to City Engineers Association of Minnesota. Michael, you were president in what, 2019, 20? Uh, 21. 21. 21. Okay. I was president in 2017, so we had some crossover there. Um, and we still do a lot with City Engineers Association and um, MnDOT Screening Board and that. And people, some people know what that is. A lot of people don't. That's fine. Um, but uh, you also uh, were awarded the Director of the Year for the local APWA chapter in, I want to say, 2021 as well, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So congratulations on that. And I think that just goes to show how much, you know, Michael's leadership, his his boss, the city manager, felt about Michael's performance in that short four years, you know, um, at the city of Plymouth and what he was doing. So it certainly lends some credibility to what his peers and and uh, even his boss uh, thought about what he was doing um, yeah. at the city appointment. Uh, that raises an interesting question. You yeah. mentioned your mentor at Maplewood and being people-focused and really helping you grow in your career. What did he do? What did that look like? Yeah, great question. So when I started over there, um, his name was Chuck. So he he really encouraged me to get involved with the industry. So I think without him, I wouldn't be involved with APWA or SEAM as much as I would have other been, otherwise been. Also, he encouraged me to get involved with the uh, local MPO in the Twin Cities, so the Met Council. So I've been on the Transportation Advisory Board's Technical Committee since I think 2014, and I now chair the uh, funding and programming committee. So that's a committee that reviews the scores for the regional solicitation where every two years about 200 million plus come through the through that process to award different agencies, counties, cities, um, various projects for whether it's strategic capacity or reconstruction or the bridge program. So I would say he really pushed me to get involved and get out of my comfort zone. And that's something that I try to do with my staff. So whether it was in Maplewood or coming over to Plymouth, hey, here's the latest educational offerings for APWA, you know, whether it's a certificate program, um, an inspection school, you know, we've sent a couple people through the Hamlin Leadership Academy. Um, so just you know, I, I had uh, our assistant city engineer, I pulled him onto our city engineers planning committee. So he's involved with that. So that's something that I've really tried to um, pass down that I saw as something that was very rewarding to me. You know, I was never the most social or outgoing person. And so I think this kind of helped me meet people in the industry. And really, it's, it's, about, it, it's all about who you know yeah. and the connections that you make. And if you don't have that, you know, you could be doing all the greatest things in Plymouth or whatever city you're in, but you have to share your story because I think others learn from whether it's your failures or your successes. Um, and, and that's key. It's, it, it's a community. Public works is a community. And if we're not networking and talking, then, then we won't be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and and that is what's great about both APWA and City Engineer Association is we have those opportunities. You know, we have our conferences, and I think we get more out of the networking and just having those conversations at the sidebar. Like, hey, I heard you guys were working on this. How's that going? Or you know, you're trying this new treatment. How's that working for you? Or this, that, and the other. Um, I think you get more out of those conversations, you know, in between the sessions than you may actually get out of the sessions, which are still very good sessions, don't get me wrong, particularly the City Engineer Association, I mean, the best conference uh, out there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's so important. And anybody that's listening to this that isn't involved in your, you know, whatever local organizations you have, get involved. Just yeah. just start going to meetings and meeting some people. And then as you have the opportunity to, to get on some committees and that, just kind of raise your hand. And like Michael said, you know, get out of your comfort zone, uh, push yourself a little bit. And hopefully you have a, you have a mentor or a, 
a boss or whomever, uh, a leader that is helping to push you in and that it, direction too. I, I want to underscore that because yeah. a lot of our listeners are bosses out there yeah. in mid-career, even later career. I had the same experience. My first boss, Shelly Johnson, when I started as a traffic engineer, pushed me out of the nest into the Institute of Transportation Engineers where that was where I started building my network. And he also pushed me into joining a Toastmasters club to practice public speaking. Just it, we don't get that in school. And it, being able to communicate really if you're going to advance as an engineer, especially in public works, you're going to be up talking in front of people. So okay. really important. And having that network of just, hey, I have this issue. Who should I call? Who, who do I know? <laughs> right, right. See, you probably wouldn't be here if not for that. You know, no. same with me. So mm-hmm. I, I think it just goes to show that, you know, maybe if you don't even have a natural mentor at your current job, you know, make it a point to go seek out a mentor mm-hmm. or somebody that you think that could provide some good feedback or somebody that you can respect because there are people out there that find a lot of reward in, in giving back. So I would challenge even the younger public works professionals maybe listening in is seek out a mentor and whether it's grabbing lunch once every few months, you know, whatever that looks like, I I think that is important. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, okay, you're, you're pretty comfortable. I assume uh, at Maplewood, you've kind of grown up through the ranks. Now all of a sudden (laughs) you, you switch to a whole nother community with whole nother culture, things going on. Uh, what was, what were you stepping into? I was stepping into, I think a department that was looking for some change. So when I was hired by the city manager, um, I don't want to say it was like, Hey, this is what needs to change. But he was very clear with me that things needed to change with the leadership of the department as kind of coming back to. I think there were great people that were technically um, technically focused in their different areas, but I think on the people side, I don't think there was the professional development, the mentorship, um, the willingness to invest in employees to get involved. So um, I think it was a little bit insular, and so one of my jobs was to come in and just kind of assess the department and see what value I could add. When I started, I said, I'm not going in just to make changes right away. I I really wanted to be thoughtful about understanding each individual in a leadership position and what value they had. And maybe if they didn't fit in that position, is there a different position for them in the organization? So one thing that I tried to bring to the table was a, a fair process. So giving everybody a chance at hey, these are my expectations coming in, and this is what I see as being successful moving forward. And so I, I took time. I met with every manager and supervisor in the public works department to have kind of an individual meeting on where are they at with things and then kind of what my expectations are. So um, I wanted to be very thoughtful about that process before making any changes. You know, first of all, I had to establish my own credibility and show that, you know, I could do the work and, you know, that I could walk the talk. So I think, you know, I had just gone through a strategic planning process in Maplewood. So we were at a point where things were good. We had a strategic plan established. And then starting with Plymouth, it was kind of starting over from scratch. So I had to get the the right people in the right places before we could even talk about strategic planning or or big picture items. So that took probably at least a, a couple of years, but overall, I mean, very strong staff. So I, I think I was set up for success, but there were certainly things to work through and it was a process. How did that process unfold? So I'm putting myself in your shoes and I'd want to get in there and try to build rapport, obviously, with (laughs) new people you're working with and sit down and have those conversations. Do you remember, did you have any specific questions like agenda? If somebody else was 
transitioning from being a city engineer in one city to coming, jumping over to being a public works director in another city, how would you go about helping them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what questions would you sit down and ask of kind of the key staff? Yeah, I, you know, what I would ask the key staff is, you know, I, I would say the first three months is you need to take time getting to know the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think some people start a new job and they say, oh, I got to learn the street names. I got to know how many lift stations there are in the city. And okay, that makes sense coming in as, you know, a entry level an engineer or, you know, even a few steps up. But, you know, if you're at the city engineer, assistant city engineer, public works deputy, whatever level that is, the director, you need to really take time to get to know your people in the department and then also the people across the city. So all the other departments, so community development, the parks and rec department, Mm-hmm. administration. Hey, you always got to get in good with finance, right? <laughs> so, yes. so I think at a certain level in your career, there you need to switch where you're going from just the production side to more people and relationship focus, because now your job is more of a delegator than I would say a doer. Um, and if you can't de- delegate and, and build the relationships, then, um, you know, it's all for naught. I mean, that's right. why you have people. So one thing that I, when I started was, okay, I got to see who my team is around me. Um, but as I move forward, if changes do need to be made, I want to hire people that are smarter than me, that um, they can, you know, that are more creative than me. So, you know, I'm not the most creative or innovative type. So I try to hire people that are better than me and can fill in my gaps. So we have, you know, a, a stronger holistic department. So the, you say it kind of took a couple of years to build up this rapport and understand the lay of the land. And how did the org chart staffing evolve from day one to kind of year two, year three? Uh, once you kind of got the lay of the land, you got comfortable and your staff was comfortable with you, then how did the changes evolve? Yeah, like I said, yeah, that took time. So I, before I came in today, I printed off our current org chart, um, but it's on version 15 since oh. I started. <laughs> so, 15. So some of these, you know, all weren't implemented, implemented but just kind of my ideas on, yeah. on some of the changes. So... Um, Essentially, you know, how we have things broken down is at this point is we have kind of the engineering water resources group that offices out of city hall. And then we have internal services. So that's fleet and facilities or building maintenance. So that's uh, that's its own arm. And then, you know, our largest arm of the department is the public works operation side. And so with that group, um, previously we had, just as an example of kind of a change that was made, under that operation side, we had a street manager and a utilities manager. So we had two different managers overseeing very, very similar maintenance staff. You know, everybody's kind of in, in a silo doing their thing. And both those managers reported to the director? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So one of the changes was we combine that into a um, kind of a combined manager, so a streets and utilities manager, so which has since then been turned to a public works operation manager. So Abby Brown is in that position now, and so she oversees all of the utility maintenance staff, all of the street maintenance staff, all the water production staff. And so I think that's really helped solidify breaking down the silos, um, bringing people together more, more information sharing. So that's that's kind of an example of, of one of the changes. And then one of the, one item that when I started was on the city manager's list is just, you know, we need to better connect city hall with the maintenance staff. You know, they're, they're two separate buildings and and how do we do that? So 
one thing that I started from day one was doing a what I called a public works weekly update. Okay. So, you know, just all the the new happenings going on in public works. So new hires, um, okay. what's going on, you know, on the, the operation side, you know, what what new projects are coming out of engineering. So it's usually about a two or three page update okay. that I put out to the whole department. It started off as weekly, um, but it's kind of gone to monthly now. But that was one thing that I tried to do to make sure that we were one department and not just individual divisions. And so another thing that I tried was doing an annual public works meeting where not only are we getting our whole public works group together talking about our accomplishments and what our outlook is over the next year, but also I invited all of the various uh, directors from the city. Mm -hmm. So the community development director, the finance manager, the city manager. So everybody was invited to come over, very well received. So each director and the city manager would spend about 10 or 15 minutes updating in their various areas of the city because a lot of times, you know, we just, we're kind of looking forward on what we do. And sometimes there's a thirst for knowledge at the maintenance level where they, they want to know what's going on and they're part of the city. So I, I think that was something that's worked out well. So we usually do that um, each fall. So that's been well received. Okay. Yeah. And in a vacuum of information, people start making up stories. So you're, uh, my experience is you're better off telling them the stories than yeah. letting them invent the stories. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say, yeah, the more open communication information sharing you have, um, yeah, the more authentic information is, is getting out there. And so, so is this with the guys on the ground working on the utilities? Was the whole staff there or was this mid-level and up? It was everybody. Okay. So it was the entire team and then obviously some of the other directors and key individuals okay. from other departments. Wow. Yeah. Uh, going back to kind of your weekly newsletter, which is intriguing to me, and that's a, especially my experience going through the pandemic of how do you communicate with your team and how do you keep everyone on the same page? <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have, so you talked about any new hires would go in there. How did you structure the newsletter or didn't you have the structure? Was it top of mind? Uh, what did it look like? Yeah. When I started, you know, it kind of started out, here's a few paragraphs um, in a Word document and sending that out. So I always had the idea that I wanted to do some sort of newsletter. But I think after a couple months, I wanted somebody to open the PDF and say, hey, there's a big picture. This is interesting information. How do you draw people in? So mm -hmm. um, I think even the communications staff gave me a compliment on my newsletter. Wow. So, so which, did, did you make that yourself start yeah. to finish? It almost looks like a magazine article with some photos yeah. and Mark, captions by so, the yeah mark and if you want me to sign one of these for you oh yeah i'm, I'm sure i'm sure you had one of these in roseville right uh, so. sure <laughs> <laughs> um but no i you know i wanted to make sure whoever opened it would want to read through it so it's not just words um i wanted to include pictures of our people so frontline staff I mean, on here, you know, we have Dave Buganski from Utilities cranking on a valve. We have water main flushing by TJ, a picture of our fleet staff, um, facility staff. So really just picking so, this up and making sure people over in City Hall can connect a name with a face. So how do you distribute that newsletter? I mean, how did it, how did it go out? Yeah, so just You just PDF. emailed it to everybody at the city? Um, I email it to all 70 plus people in the department. Okay. And then I copy the uh, directors and the city manager just okay. so they kind of know, hey, this is what's going on in public works and kind of keep them in, in the know. How about the council? You know, I have not shared this with the council. The city manager has his own mm -hmm. newsletter that he does. Okay. So, so he plucks information out of there. And puts yeah. It in his, oh, wow. Yeah. So he does what's called a Friday update. Every Friday, 
he's very diligent about it. So all the directors by Friday morning usually get one or two items that we want highlighted in his newsletter for the council. So more of the focus in that is, hey, if a controversial issue came up in a city council meeting and we needed to do some follow-up with the council, you know, hey, this is our assessment policy. This is the reminder how it's used in this situation. And so those are the types of things that Dave, our city manager, would collect and still does. So usually two or three items from each director. Um, so I kind of stay out of the personnel side because it's more focused towards city council issues they need to be in the know on mm -hmm. or they need some follow-up information. Would you... Clearly, right now, this newsletter is not geared for public distribution. Um, would you be, is there anything in there that you would be worried about the public seeing? No. What I learned early in my career is anything that I put in email, do or say, can and will you be used against me <laughs> through data practices requests. Yep. So, so, you know, everything's professional. I mean, that's something that I preach with with our team too is, you know, anything that you put out there, even if it's just internal, you know, it's a public document. So yeah, I have, I'm on, you know, like I said, it started out weekly, but then it skipped. So I, I'm on issue 94 now. So I've have 94 wow. of these newsletters they are all in PDF. So if, uh, you want to take a weekend of good reading, Mark, I'll <laughs> be sure to package those up and send them over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, uh, it would be nice to include one in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, I was going to ask that like, too. Yeah, yeah, would you be okay with that? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely, ab absolutely. Yeah. Whatever, you, whatever you guys want, um, I can share that information if you think it'll be helpful. I think so because we're just trying to distribute yep. what other folks are doing, and you've been doing this a while, and you've grown, and you've obviously evolved with 15 versions of your org chart, and yep. I think just seeing what other folks are doing, that's the whole point of the podcast, and, yep. and I love that idea, and you could structure a newsletter so many different ways. It could be, here's highlights from the past week, what we're expecting next week, kind of just a rolling, or you could take it so many different directions. Um, but I've found I love templates. <laughs> yeah, I go so much faster when I start with a template and I'm just filling things in than starting with a blank page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Bolton & Mink, who are producing this podcast for us. At Bolton & Mink, we believe all people should live in a safe, sustainable, and beautiful community. We promise every client two things. We'll work hard for you and we'll do a good job. We take a personal interest in the work being done around us. And at the end of the day, we're real people offering real solutions. You know, getting back to the to the org chart and, and some of the changes you made in that, um, you know, you, you you talked about creating, you know, more of a this higher level public works manager position. Um, so what what's underneath the public works manager position then is it is it supervisors then or i mean what what do you have going down through there and maybe talk a little bit about the budgeting component of making that change from you know the individual managers to more of that manager with with supporting cast underneath it yeah yeah great question mark the uh, yeah so as an example, yeah, our public works oper operation manager. So she has direct reports. So those are supervisors. Yep. So, you know, combining that street and utility manager position that kind of allowed us to more professionalize the position. Um, what I would say coming into the job, like I said, people were great tactically, um, but I think I wanted a higher level of, prof, you know, professionalism. What, anybody that is my direct report, what I always use as the test is like, am I, if I'm out of town or if I can't make a council meeting, can this person go in front of the city council, rep represent the department well, know the nuances, um, understand politics? Um, so that's kind of my test is, you know, if you have a direct report, that person 
should be comfortable replacing you at a city council meeting, for example. So I would say we did make some combined position changes and that actually freed up some space to hire um, some more people, more maybe that supervisory mm -hmm. type level um, and have a better span of control. So um, again, I came in, people were great and I don't want anybody to think that, hey, when I started at Plymouth, you know, it, the team wasn't professional or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying I made a few tweaks here and there uh, just based on my style. And so I, I have the utmost respect for, you know, past employees of Plymouth and, um, you know, every person that comes in with a new job like this, you know, they're going to make changes. You know, that's, that's kind of your job is the reason you were hired is because changes are probably needed in some way. And that's your job to figure out what those are. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of variation. Well, I know there's a lot of variation amongst the departments as, as far as that structure is concerned. I mean, I think the, the more common uh, title for that position, that manager, operations manager position is like a superintendent uh, position. But I, I'm wondering, and maybe this is kind of a leading question perhaps, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, were you intentional in not calling it a superintendent position and getting into maybe what you were looking for for the qualifications? You, you talked a little bit about it as far as what you expect from a direct report, but for this particular position, you know, historically, that would have been a, you know, a, a previous maintenance level position that kind of worked their way up the ranks and and became a supervisor slash superintendent in that. But I think maybe you were a little more intentional on on the qualifications and what you were looking for for this position. So maybe talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's correct. I think I think historically, you know, the manager or supervisor is somebody that kind of started and over 20 years kind of worked their way up the ranks. And yeah, I, I would say you're correct, Mark. I, I was intentional about that to more professionalize the mm -hmm. position, right? Like if this person's going in front of the city council, I want them to have broad experience across the board, be able to communicate well, um, understand nuances of politics. So yeah, when we posted this, public works operations manager position, which is another name for our street and utilities manager position. Yeah, ideally, you know, it would be somebody that could come in that had experience um, working with city councils, overseeing um, a larger staff, doing some strategic planning. And so, yeah, it was intentional, not just for what I wanted out of the job, but I would also say recruitment. Mm -hmm. we've, we've had to get very creative in even job titles to draw in the right people for recruitment because sometimes even if it's the same pay, um, the same duties, uh, job title means a lot to people. Yep. And so I, I think post-COVID, everybody's had to get creative in figuring out what those different approaches are in, in recruiting the right people. Um, so I hope that kind of gets to part yeah. of your question. Well, and, and maybe even diving into a little bit more, um, the person that's in that position, what was her name again? I'm sorry. Abby. Abby. Um, what, what is, what was her background and what, what, what was it about her experience in that, that you thought was the right fit for this position? Abby had a really great background and a lot of experience on the drinking water side. So she came from a, a private consulting firm where she was essentially an operations manager that oversaw a very large team. And so this is a national consulting organization, but they had an office, a local office here. So she oversaw you know, a multitude of people. I think we were joking around at one point where um, she was doing 40 performance reviews every year. So, oh, wow. you know, just too many. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, whoa, whoa, come work for us. I'll give you less people yeah. to oversee. Yeah. Um, so she, she had a lot of relationships. She knew how to work with people, how to provide constructive feedback. And also she had a PE license. Hmm. She was very versed in drinking water systems. And that's one thing that, you know, I don't want to say it's, um, one of my weaknesses, but I, you know, 
coming up through the industry, even while I was in Maplewood, we didn't own and operate our own drinking water right. system. That was St. Paul Regional Water Services. So, you know, my city manager sometimes asked me and, you know, even my performance review, you know, what do you lose sleep over? I always say it's the drinking water system, you know, and bringing her on board has really provided a lot of peace of mind for me. She has that expertise, the professionalism, all the connections in the, the drinking water industry. So she was very involved with AWWA mm -hmm. Minnesota chapter. So again, that's something that I look for too, is are they involved in the industry, you know, with the professional organizations and are they networking and creating those connections? Because if something goes wrong, we're going to look outside of our organization to help, you know, it's, it's pulling everybody on board. And um, so she, that's one thing that really um, drew my interest was her expertise and then also all of her connections through the industry. Um, do you have, and I think that's great. I, I think it's great that, you know, you, you were thinking more outside the box on, you know, and differently than maybe some of the more traditional, um, placements for, for that role. So, so good job. Are there any other examples on, on that org chart of maybe where you've created some new positions or, um, you know, just kind of moved some pieces around to, to, you know, in your opinion, make that operations better? overall? Um, yeah, I, yeah, one of the big things that we implemented kind of after getting a basis on how things operate. So essentially we had a manager level on the maintenance side, then a supervisor level and the supervisor level, I mean, they were overseeing, you know, 14 people. So it was just supervisor and then all these other people. So one thing that in talking to the supervisors and, hey, how can we make some changes here with without breaking the budget and adding a, um, a whole plethora of new staff, we implemented a, a maintenance lead position in each division within maintenance. So we have, um, like on the drinking water side, we have four workers that work at our two treatment plants. And then one of them is a lead mm -hmm. and the three other um, kind of take day-to-day -day direction from that lead. The lead person doesn't have necessarily um, like performance review control, but right. they can direct and help. And uh, um, they're kind of the connection between the supervisor and the team. So, and then like on the uh, utility side, we have two utility lead positions. So one of those leads is focused on water distribution. So they help direct the work for water main breaks, scheduling day-to-day -day work. And then another that helps direct work on the storm sewer and sanitary sewer side of things. So same on streets. We have two lead people on streets that help the supervisor. Before that, it was kind of the supervisor level and then the maintenance workers and there was somewhat of a gap there. Yeah. And so this helps provide that connection. Um, and I think it provides support from the supervisors. I, yep. I've had good yep. feedback from that side, but I will say taking on that lead position while it is a, you know, a, a small bump in, in pay, um, it's a tough position for the leads because they're kind of, reporting to the supervisor and also helping direct work, um, they're still part of the union. And yep. so there's kind of this um, sometimes, well, this lead person is doesn't support us or they're on the management side. You know, I think that was kind of some of the feedback we got early on, but I think since we've, you know, improved the culture and, and brought people together, I, I think we've kind of helped break down that barrier. As the cultures improved, was there a, do you remember any turning points? Was there, was this just a slow evolution that kind of built around your personality or were there very specific things you did and milestones? I would say it's a, it was a slow evolution. You know, I don't know that there's one thing that says, hey, something all of a sudden clicked this week and, you know, everybody you know, switched 180 degrees. I, I think it was a combination of thing. I, I think it was, you know, communicating, um, 
truthfully and authentically to the staff, whether, whether it's through the newsletter, um, connecting more with City Hall, trying to support the supervisors, you know, with these lead positions, um, getting in there and uh, having conversations. You know, when I first started with a lot of the maintenance staff um, on their ideas of what some of the changes could be made. Um, so it, it, it was, I would say, a, a rather slow evolution, but I think a number of things helped help change that. One thing that when I started, I think our HR director told me that, you know, in public works, there hasn't been a reprimand in like five or 10 years, you know, not, not they're just, I, I think part of the deal was there wasn't much accountability yeah, okay. when I started. And so, you know, when I started, that was one thing that was put on my radar is, hey, you know, we, we need to start holding people accountable for their actions. You know, and, it's in, and I just want to kind of like rephrase that, you know, there hadn't been a reprimand in so many years. And some people might say, well, that's a great thing. It's kind of like having a good safety record. You know, we've gone, you know, 3,000 days without a, a, a an incident. Well, but if you're not, and unfortunately, some of that feedback has to come in the f form of a formal reprimand or something. But if you're not providing that, that feedback to your, you know, your staff, how do they know what the right thing is? And how do they know when they're doing something wrong? And like you said, you have to provide that feedback so they know what to do better. Yeah, exactly right, Mark. I, you know, I started um, late summer of 2017. And I remember one incident that, that stood out to me. I think it was our kickoff snowplow meeting. I think it was uh, kind of the October timeframe, um, our interim street manager at that time was had all of the maintenance staff kind of going over this is the plan here are the maps and then one employee kind of popped off and said this is a bunch of you know what you know out loud mm -hmm. and it's like no that is not happening here so part of it is you need to establish the tone holding people accountable and the benefit of that is if you do the people that are doing good work and have the good attitudes you know, are recognized for all the great things that they're doing. Yep. Because if you don't hold people accountable, then I think it draws everybody down and you're going to have a morale issue. So um, it's like, well, if he can get away or she can get away with doing that, you know, what's my incentive of doing anything good? So one thing that, you know, I talk to my staff about is, you know, in your performance reviews, um, you know, make sure you're giving that authentic feedback. And by the time you're doing a performance review on one of your direct reports, no surprises. You know, you need to be talking to them, coaching them. If you see things happening, talk to them more informally at first. Give them a chance, yep. write a fair process to correct that behavior or um, meet your expectations. So we're all here to be successful. And it's not an I gotcha, hey, you did something bad. No, that's never, never what we're doing. It's more of like, we want everybody to succeed and accountability, I think, helps with the whole morale of the department. So Mike, I would say that's another leg of changing a culture is there, there does need to be accountability. But I would say on the flip side, you need to recognize good behavior um, when you see it. And so one of the things that, that we implemented was a, a public works employee recognition program. So every year we recognize an individual and a division for the great things that they do. So this came out of our strategic planning process. So, you know, after things kind of got settled in and uh, we got to that point, we started a strategic uh, plan implementation in, in 2021. And that's where I met with all the different divisions. We had the flipboard and wrote down ideas on mission, vision, you know, our values and maybe three goals that we wanna work on over the, the next couple of years. And um, one of those items, and I could just read it, you know, values were professional and collaborative, another uh, high quality customer service, recognize and utilize staff strength. So this was really the, the team telling me you know, what did they want to focus on? And so uh, the employee recognition program came out of that. Okay. And 
there was a representative from each division that sits on that. So it's not me picking who is doing well. It's it's your your co-employees that you know people are making nominations, and it's a group of people of your peers um, that are recognizing you. And so uh, Tony Manning in engineering uh, was recognized as the individual in, in 2022, and he's uh, one of our on, on the engineering side, one of our uh, senior engineering techs. And so he helps with all of the uh, development construction oversight, works a lot with our maintenance team. And then our smaller facilities division was recognized for uh, division of the year. And so, you know, each of them get a street sign, kind of saying employee or division of the year. And um, that gets highlighted in the newsletter. The city manager, you know, gets that report. And, and so I think it's small things like that that, yeah. that can go a long way. So it's, at least for me, it seems slow, a slow changing process over time. You know, what about national or local recognition outside of, of Plymouth? Like, what have you done to, to make sure that you lift these guys up that are guys and, and women that are doing, you know, great work? Um, you know, recognize them in, in the state or what have you? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. And I would say I would like to think that our culture has changed so much that without me even knowing, our street supervisor, Tori Keith, nominated our street lead, um, Dustin Palm, who was recognized at the last APWA conference for uh, Public Works um, employee of the year. So yeah. he got up there, had a picture with the um, the group at the conference. And so um, I, I think that, I mean, I think that's a testament to culture changes. I'm not saying, hey, you go recognize this person. Tori's gotten involved with APWA. He knew how to make a, a submission for a recognition. Rec recognition. Um, he saw value in Dustin's work and supporting him as the lead. And so it, it kind of all happened organically. So I, I think things like that have happened over time. And I hope moving forward, more of that does happen. So it was great. Uh, last November, we invited um, the, the whole team to come over to the, the conference center over at Mystic Lake where mm -hmm. Dustin was recognized. So we had the entire street team there. We did a big photo. Um, they got to stick around for the great lunch. So, you know, that's just another, you know, thing that goes in the good the good bag, you yep. know, that's that's it's kind of you pocket the wins and and I think that was a another part of changing the culture. Yeah, it just reinforces that good behavior and that there are you, you know that, that you get something out of it. You know, you that's that's a great feeling not only for uh the individual but also Tory, right? Yep. Uh, but also for the whole staff and then that you included them in that um recognition and everything and they got to have kind of a, a nice day you know and, yeah. and i think that speaks volumes to everybody else about uh you know that that it does pay off to to do the right thing and and uh you know go the extra mile and such so kind of as we're wrapping up on our hour and kind of one of the last questions here around reorganizing and building a culture. If, if you could jump into a time machine, go back to day one, what would you do differently that would have resulted? How, what would you have done to make this even better, the, this transition? Yeah, Mike, great question. I, you know, I guess I don't really ponder on what would I have done better. I, I think that I you did. couldn't have done anything else better, right, Michael? Uh, no, no that, that's right. not what I. I'm <laughs> no, no, and I'm trying to phrase the question: <laughs> yeah. not mistakes you made, yeah. but how could knowing what you know now, yeah. six, seven years later into this transition, if you could go back in time, how could you have made this faster, cheaper, better? Yeah, I, I would say, I, I'm sure there's. Getting back to my point, of course I made mistakes. There's mm -hmm. probably you know a hundred things I would I would do differently. Um, I think that maybe spending more time with individual supervisors and more of the maintenance team early on maybe would have given me better insight into what's going well and what needs to improve. 
you know, I did sit down with supervisors, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, I, I think I could have probably delved deeper into the history of Plymouth and maybe why some things were done to better inform how to approach maybe some tough decisions and rolling those out. Um, so, but I, I think I started and it was just, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn what I can learn and try not to delve into the past. But I, I think if I had better insight into maybe why some decisions were made and why some people were in certain position, positions that could have helped maybe inform me better moving forward. Sure. Um, and I, I, I think too that, you know, I, I think one thing when I started, I tried to, you know, build relationships with my fellow directors. But then again, I had so much going on in public works. I, I think I could have spent more time with my fellow directors up front and building those relationships in the, in the first year. Yeah. And that's always a tough balance. And I know I always regretted not spending more time with the maintenance staff, just getting to know better, getting to know them better and be more approachable, you know, and, and, you know, I had an office in city hall and our, our maintenance facility was right across the parking lot, you know, and, and when I was in Maple Grove, we were three miles away from city hall. Um, but I always regretted not being there more and just, you know, having those walk up or, or pass by moments with the maintenance staff just to get them to know better and make me feel more like a human being to them. Um, so they would me maybe feel more comfortable coming to me with just a question or, or what have you. And, and I don't know yeah. if, you know, what your experience on that has been. I, I, I actually tried to be intentional about spending time down there and we even tried to establish a working space down at, you know, in the public works building. Mm -hmm. um, have you done anything like that? Or, you know, what have you done to make yourself more approachable to staff? Yeah, so I do have an office at City Hall, and I spend at least two days over at the maintenance office. Okay. So, but even I'm guilty right now. I, I should probably be out more with the staff, the frontline staff and the supervisors. I do try to stop out from time to time, you know, when our street crews are paving um, or maybe we have a water main break. But sometimes I find myself in the office too much mm -hmm. working on council staff reports or budget items. Yep. And so I think when I first started, I think I did pretty good with, you know, getting out there to build a rapport, doing the ride alongs at two in the morning with the, the plow crews. But I, I think, you know, I've been there six years and even now I find myself as, man, I do need to get more connected again. And um, you just kind of become aware of it you know, maybe with like a comment like this, it's like, yeah, I do need to reconnect. And yeah. sometimes I get stuck in the office too much. And I think it's a great lesson for those that are, you know, moving into this position or a similar role of, you know, you do, you do need to be intentional about that. Like you need to actually schedule some time in your calendar and, and this, that, and the other to, to be there, to be visible, because that's going to help with, with that perception of being approachable. Um, in, the in the pandemic, through all this, yeah. yep. through this all out. Yep. I mean, yeah. you just couldn't be with your yep. people. So I think we're all out of the habit of doing that and getting it on the calendar yep. is, is important. Um, so let's flip over now. We have a few standard questions we like to wrap up with, Michael. Um, so what technology have you implemented that you're excited about? Uh, for instance, the guys in Egan uh, told us about a little, Eels, right? It, it was a little thing to put into your iPhone yep. that uh, had great GPS accuracy, um, little transponder. Yeah. yeah. So when I started, one of the areas that needed some help or was deficient was um, workflow and asset management. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know the Egan, Egan folks, they're really good at that. And so one thing that uh, we rolled out, it was myself and the administrative services director. Um, we worked on a partnership to try to figure out how do we put something in place to help with workflow and tracking. So as you know, Mark or Mike, you, you can get, you know, five calls a month from the same mm -hmm. resident and that person is calling city hall, maybe maintenance, and then there's no tracking on, yeah. hey, is somebody already working on this issue? So we went through a process and I, I would, Sonia Rippey out of our parks maintenance department was very key and helpful in this, 
we went through and analyzed different asset management and workflow uh, proposals. And so we ended up going with Cartograph as um, our rollout. So that was rolled out a, at least a few years back now, but that was quite a process where we looked at pros and cons with all these different systems. So we have come a long way with Cartograph. So putting all of our assets into that program, when, when was a, a water main last maintained, you know, street, you know, you name it, um, this resident. So I can type in, if I get a call from a resident, I type in the resident's name and then the whole log of what that resident has called up on, on what date. And so before our administrative staff at the front counter would just track all these different things on spreadsheets. And so that has <laughs> all been rolled into one system that allows everybody to know what's going on, helps with workflow. So even our maintenance staff, every maintenance person has an iPad now and they can go on and do, hey, this is a work order item. And so they know that, hey, this needs to get fixed or we have a, a mailbox down from a snowplow damage. This is on the list and needs to get repaired. So there are, I, I, I would say just by implementing that, I, it's hard to fathom how we were operating before that, yeah. in my opinion. Oh. So I would say that was one of the big shifts in technology for Plymouth. How about the flip side of that? Like what, what have you seen either at Plymouth or Maplewood that just, just wasn't successful that, that, you know, if you could do it over, um, wouldn't have implemented that technology. Technology wise. Gosh. Or maybe, maybe you don't have one, but maybe there's a, a disappointment in something. Yeah. I'm not the most technologically capable person. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to our org chart, we did we uh, we hired a an asset management project coordinator. Yeah, okay. and so that person is kind of tasked to be our contact person, like with Cartograph, and they're the connection with the programs with the maintenance team. So they have somebody that can come back and and work with, but. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's various technology. Nothing comes to mind at yeah. the moment. Okay. Um, but I, I see technology as usually if it's rolled out, there's some value to it. But if you're using it right, there's value. But maybe if you're not using it right to, to its full potential, um, what, what, just in a general high-level sense, what I've told my direct reports is if we have a technology, great. But if we're doing more work, to maintain the technology, I don't want to do that. So like with Cartograph, I said, if it's more work to put in, you know, every single call on some issues, just don't do it. Just keep a list on, you know, your, your spreadsheet and just do it separately. I don't want you spending more time to put data in or it being more of a hassle. So it's like, no, if it's not working, don't waste your time on it. Do it the most efficient way you can do it. So Technology isn't always the end-all, be-all. Uh, sometimes people just need to make a decision on their skills. Hey, should I spend the time to input this, or do I just keep a list and work with the crews to do it? Yeah, and I, and I think it's a good point that whenever you implement a new software piece or a piece of technology or something that, you know, you have to figure out what your process and your workflow is. That's that's just as important, if not more important, than the technology itself is is making sure you are using it correctly and, and that the process is defined correctly and that it's an efficient process. Um, and, and maybe it's a little bit more work on the front end, but it saves you work somewhere else. You, but you have to figure that out. You, you, have to, you have to kind of define that to make sure that, that, that's, uh, that that's set up right. As we, uh, as we close this out now, though, I wanted to go back to the very beginning when you said you were a baseball player. So, I mean, life is yeah. baseball. Baseball is life for me right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like the Ted Lasso soccer is life. Well, baseball <laughs> is life for me. Um, so just, you know, talk a little bit more, like, where did you play and what position and, and, um, you know, what does baseball mean for you now? Like how big of a fan you are or what have you, your kids are going to be major league baseball players or <laughs> well, we all hope, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll buy us the big house. No, grew up probably just like you, and I know your son's very involved with baseball, but I grew up playing t-ball, Little League um, in, in Red Bluff, California. Now, I remember when I was a little kid uh, with one of those 
um, wiffle ball bats, the yellow bats, my dad pitching me many marshmallows. So I think I started at a, at a young age with the hand-eye coordination. But yeah, then kind of went through the whole city program and then, you know, made the high school team, the varsity team. And then I was fortunate enough to play one year at George Fox University up in Oregon, which is a private university. Um, but I've quickly found out that at the, the college level, even if it's a smaller college, mm -hmm. it's like a job. Yep. So we were up at four in the morning, you know, at gym practice, you know, running wind sprints. It, it, it was a full-time job. It's so a grind. It, 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 and when you get to that college level and above, it is a grind. It, it is a grind. And so I played center field growing up and then my, my first year in college and love baseball, one of my favorite sports, um, built a lot of relationships. I, I think going through sports helps you understand camaraderie and team building. And so I think that's part of what, you know, set my footing was, you know, having great parents, going through sports, developing relationships. So I, I think the more involvement you have with people and teams mm -hmm. as a young kid, I think that can help you up for success. You know, back growing up, we didn't have participation trophies. <laughs> so, so if you didn't do something good, you know, you would hear about it. Yep. You know, I know things are a little different these days, and I don't know ultimately how that all is going to shake out. But I think I'm old enough now where, you know, things were a little different when I was younger and growing up. But, but yeah, that was kind of the freshman year of college. That was my one and only year. And then after that, um, you know, got involved with slow pitch softball. So actually over in Maplewood, we had a um, group, a public works group, a softball team. So we played for a couple of years doing that and um, found that quite fun. So kind of hearkening back to my, my old days of baseball. What position did you play? So mostly center field okay. growing up. So I was a lefty, so they tried me out on the infield. And then when you get a little older, like, we can't have a lefty in the infield. Get in the outfield. <laughs> so um, I did pitch a little bit when I was real young, but at the high school level and above, center field was my position. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. And hopefully my first uh, podcast yeah, here went, went great. all right. So. Went yeah, great. Well, this has been great. Thanks, Michael. And one last thing before you go, uh, although we don't charge for the professional development hour you just received by listening to the podcast, the Public Works Nerds is not free. If you've listened to more than one episode, the cost is that you tell one colleague about the Public Works Nerds. We're trying to grow our audience, and that would be a great help. Thank you. Thank you.